This morning we come to the only miracle of Jesus outside of the resurrection that was recorded in all four Gospels. That certainly tells us something of its importance. It's commonly referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Actually, 5,000 men were fed. When you add in the women and children, estimates range from 10 to 15,000. Thus, my title, Feeding More Than 5,000. Now, this is a very familiar story, one that most of us know very well. It also is one that has been the text for many sermons, and that makes it hard for a preacher. You know, telling a story that no one knows is a whole lot easier than telling one that everyone knows. But it's a story that bears repeating. Now, I'm going to try to avoid the temptation to, to find something here that no one else has ever discovered. And I'm not going to read between the lines and take a flight of fancy and concoct a story about the boy who gave up his lunch. You know, the, the kind of thing they do in The Chosen. And yes, we're finally watching it. We didn't have free access to it for quite some time, and I was hesitant to pursue it because I generally do not enjoy films that portray biblical stories. The artistic liberty that's usually taken with the text drives me crazy. And I'm afraid some of the fiction they add to the stories might lodge themselves in my memory bank and I'll draw them out someday thinking they're biblical. I do have to admit, however, that while I do find myself cringing at the insertion of contemporary figures of speech and mannerisms in The Chosen, and the way some of the characters are portrayed, I generally like the way they picture Jesus. And his, his camping trips with the disciples have stretched my understanding of the way he may have traveled around the countryside. So yes, reading between the lines can be fun and at times even appropriate, but I'm not going to do so this morning. Nor am I going to become a liberal theologian and suggest the feeding really didn't happen as recorded. That what really happened was that everyone was so moved by Jesus and what he said that they just shared what they had and everyone was satisfied. Now we're going to stick to the facts. We'll flesh out the account by adding what is needed from the other Gospels and then simply make what I believe to be the primary application of this account to our lives. We begin with the setting. We're in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. 
after these things covers a lot of ground. If the feast mentioned at the beginning of chapter 5 was a Passover, a year has passed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. A lot has taken place. In fact, the bulk of Jesus' great Galilean ministry, which is recorded in detail by the other gospel writers, has taken place. We're now at the close of that ministry. And the disciples have just returned from very successful evangelistic campaigns. They've been set out to proclaim a message of repentance, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. They had also just received word that John the Baptist had been beheaded. The disciples were on an emotional roller coaster. Jesus decided it would be good for them to get away for a while. So he took a boat to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee for a brief retreat. Now, they weren't able to retreat for long, however, because a great multitude followed them along the shore. John tells us why they followed. They were followed because the people were seeing the signs which Jesus was performing on those who were sick. They weren't coming to hear his teaching. They were coming to be healed or to see others be healed. They were coming because they wanted to see miracles. This was exciting stuff. They didn't want to miss a thing. So by the time Jesus and the disciples got settled on a hillside overlooking the sea, people were pouring into the valley and creeping up the hillsides. Jesus saw them, he felt compassion for them, and he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. That's the setting. An unexpected gathering of thousands at a deserted location with no provisions having been made. That should give us a clue as to the nature of the problem about to arise. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Now, according to the other accounts, as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and told him to send the multitude away because it was supper time. Instead, he basically said, let's feed them. Then, to test Philip's faith in his ability to meet needs, as he had done at the wedding feast, he asked where they could buy bread. Maybe there was a Casey's nearby. Philip responded that even if they could find the bread, it would take at least 200 days' wages, a denarii equal to day's wage for a laborer, to purchase enough food for a crowd, and then it would only amount to finger food. Jesus told his disciples to look through the crowd and see 
how much food they could find among the people. All they could come up with was five loaves, which were in reality small barley rolls, and two fish, which were smoked or pickled and probably the size of sardines. Now, I don't think we should extrapolate about the generosity of the lad who gave up his meal or the faith of Andrew who brought it to Jesus. We really don't know the circumstances of finding the boy's lunch. The disciples had been told to find food. Maybe they had spotted the boy getting ready to eat and told him to give it to them. After all, they were bigger than he was. And Andrew doesn't sound very hopeful when he says, but what are these for so many people? It sounds more like an expression of defeat than an expression of faith. Whatever their thoughts, they had a problem. And they didn't know what to do about it. But Jesus did. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus, therefore, took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, and filled baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. When confronted with an apparently impossible situation, Jesus simply had the people seated in groups of hundreds and fifties on the grassy hillsides and then offered thanks for what they had. Now, I really like John's touch here. Rather than focus on Jesus looking to heaven as if he were in need of divine help or blessing the food as if he knew some magical words to say, John simply says, and having given thanks, he distributed it to those who were seated. How the miracle took place, we're not told. And just as we can't be sure whether the water turned to wine in the well or in the water pots, we don't know whether the bread and fish multiplied as Jesus broke it or as the disciples distributed it. However it happened, Jesus enabled the disciples to distribute pieces of bread and fish to everyone, all 10 to 15,000 of them. And it was an all-you-can-eat buffet. The selection may not have been great, but there was plenty for everyone to eat their fill. This was no spiritual feeding or sacramental meal. They pigged out. They ate as much as they wanted. And then, after everyone had eaten their fill, Jesus had the disciples gather up the leftovers. And these weren't just table scraps. They were the unbroken loaves and perhaps leftover fish. And every account tells us the disciples filled 12 baskets with leftovers. Apparently, they were all impressed by that fact, and that may be because the baskets were the disciples' own lunch baskets. In other words, 
they left with full doggy bags. Jesus had miraculously fed more than 5,000 and provided the next day's provisions for his disciples. Let's see how the crowd reacted. When, therefore, the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. The people were impressed. Surely this was the prophet Moses spoke about, the one who would be their leader, their Messiah, their king. So they decided to make Jesus their king by force, if necessary. And who wouldn't want Jesus to be their king in a traditional sense of the word? Who wouldn't want a compassionate, benevolent king with miraculous powers? Who wouldn't want a king who could meet all the physical needs of his subjects, even miraculously feed them? Who wouldn't fight for a king? who could heal all wounds and raise those killed on the battlefield. Jesus would be the perfect king in more ways than one. But he had no intention of being the kind of king they wanted. He hadn't come to earth to establish a physical kingdom. So he ordered his disciples into the boat and slipped off into the hills by himself leaving the multitudes searching for him. When they later find him, he'll confront them with the real reason they want him. Truly, truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He will then try to get their focus off physical food and onto the spiritual food they need. But when he does so, John records, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. When they refused to do what they wanted, they withdrew from him. And they wouldn't follow him any longer. That was their bottom line reaction to the feeding of the 5,000. They walked away when they discovered Jesus wasn't a perpetual meal ticket. So what do we learn from this story? Well, I think it should be obvious that there are many lessons to be learned from this account. We could probably come up with quite a list if we were to brainstorm just a bit. You know, Jesus is never too busy to meet needs. In fact, he goes beyond them and blesses abundantly. We should be thankful for what we have and share it with others. Don't be afraid to offer Jesus whatever you have. Trust him to put it to good use. When there's a need, Jesus involves his disciples in meeting that need. We are his waiters serving what he gives us to pass out. Waste not, want not. Eat your leftovers. I'm sure there are others. But I think the primary application of this account to our lives should be an examination of our motives for following Jesus. 
Why do we follow him? Is it because we know he's a son of God and as such deserves to be followed? Because he has the right to be our Lord and we've committed ourselves to following him and serving him no matter what the cost might be? Or do we follow him because we want to be blessed by him? Because we hope he'll do for us what we want him to do for us. Now, it's not wrong to want to be blessed. But we better ask ourselves a very important question. If physical blessings stop coming, will we still want him to be our king? If our prayers aren't answered as we hoped they would be, will we still follow him? The multitude did not. What about us? Do we really want Jesus to be our king? Not a king of our own making who will do what we want him to do, but as the king he really is. Are we willing to make room for Jesus in our lives as the king of glory, as the king of kings? And the Lord of Lords. Now someday, every eye will behold him as such. Let's make certain we've accepted him as such today. Let's commit ourselves to him.